0: You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Message side of today is overcoming curses. It's the last part of this series. Uh, If you remember, the tagline of this series is overcoming uh, negative mindsets, curses, And evil spirits. So we've talked about negative mindsets. We talked about identity when we introduced the series. Uh, We talked about last week. We talked about overcoming evil spirits, and it's a it's a bit of a different message. I encourage you to listen to it. It's on the podcast and online if you haven't. Uh, Just to give you some perspective on what is your place as a follower of Christ when it comes to evil spirits, and and it's a reality that's it's been with us for as long as you know humanity has been alive. So. Um, but today I want to I focus on curses because uh, it, it's something that might be uh, ingrained in our family, in our lives, and we might name it something else, uh, but it's important for us to understand where we stand. Uh, and even if you're not a church person and you just wandered here today, somebody invited you, you're new to this whole church life, uh, I believe this is going to shed some light in, in some very important areas of your life, so overcoming curses let me ask you a question what comes to mind when you hear the word curse it's a word that has different connotations for different people maybe you picture a big mean weird bearded man you know on the big throne in the sky like an old cartoon what was that guy from uh, lord of the rings gandalf yeah like just smiting people with curses maybe that's your picture of curses like some some supreme being maybe even god just cursing people do you, do you picture like a witch, somebody that works black magic stuff, casting spells? Maybe, maybe for you it's not none of that. Maybe for you curses or a curse is a kind of ailment, something that cripples somebody, a, a kind of disease or something that's on the person that they can't get rid of. For many pe- people, curses belong in the realm of superstition. It means that they think that if they don't believe in it, it's not real. So, I'm going I'm to talk a little bit about this in the top of the message. This message is like three, in three parts, right? I'm going to talk about this and then I'm going to talk about curses and then there's a little part of epigenetics that I, I want to bring in and just shed some light and then everything's going to come together at the end, right? But for some people, they think that what is true uh, is whatever they believe in. But that's not how realities exist. That's not how we get to know a reality because what is true of any kind of reality is also true true of the spiritual reality. You can't create a spiritual reality simply by preferring it or by trying to believe in it or not. What is true about any reality is true of the spiritual reality, which means we learn about what is already real. We learn about what already exists through observation, through study, and then we engage in it Through participation. Believing in something doesn't make it real. It's really important for us to get this, for us to learn this. Because not believing in something doesn't make it not real, right? Belief and faith do not make a reality. They don't create a reality. It's a response to a reality that is revealed. When somebody has faith in something and they have an assurance and they believe in something, it's because something was revealed to them. They saw something that maybe somebody else didn't see, and so it's real to them. This is very important because we, we live in a generation, we live in an era where many of us are exposed to an idea that's kind of like a God complex. People have a God complex where they think that if, if their own belief really rules the reality they exist in. So you can say something about something that you know is true, and they say, No, I don't believe in that. And they think, Oh, because I don't believe in it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't work like that. That's a little bit of an egocentric idea that has become very popular nowadays. You could just say, Oh, I don't believe in God, and that means God doesn't exist. No, well, belief doesn't make a reality. You could just say, I believe that the earth is flat. It's not going to make it flat, right? Unless there's any flat earthers here, we can talk about that at the end of this service. <laughs> Belief does not make reality. Reality is revealed through observation and study, like I said. And then we come to believe it. Now, we know this. This is something that we know here. Parents really know this. I don't want to ruin everybody's Christmas here. But for your child to believe whatever they believe about Christmas... There had to be a reality presented, a tree, a gift, movies, a story, and then a beautiful fairy tale is presented, and the child's imagination grasps it, takes a hold of it, and reaches beyond the limits of their own existence, because the reality of a child is small, right? It's just that world at home, and then they believe it. But the reason why they believe it is because somebody they trusted presented that. Somebody they trusted showed that as real. show them that. But then there will come a time, like it came to all of us, where we're going to verify it for ourselves. They're going to verify it on their own. And they'll, they'll find out what is true. And belief will follow reality. That's really need you guys to get this belief follows reality not fantasy we have stories that have been told through generations they've been compiled and put together in what we call the bible but this has been written through a span of 1500 years more than 40 authors and and these are scriptures that we have as 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 humanity we have gone back to them again and again and again and again and there's a reason why we do that. Some of the stories uh, in this scripture are allegorical. They're not Stories that actually happen, they paint a picture like Jesus' parables, right? Every parable that Jesus, is, Jesus shared is not a story that actually happened, like the Good Samaritan parable. We all know what a Good Samaritan is. That didn't actually happen. Jesus formulated that story and shared that story to share, to, to make a point, to, to teach a truth. So the, the, the point of the story is true. Others are verifiably historical, like Jesus' life. We know that He lived. Jesus' crucifixion. We know He was crucified historically. Jesus' resurrection. There is an empty tomb right now somewhere in, in Israel that you can go and verify. It's empty. And everything that is believed should be believed because it has been verified. It should be believed because you observed it, you studied it, and you lived it. Personal experience, right? And that is the difference Jesus made. Jesus didn't come to bring any superstition, any reality that is not real for some people and it's real for others. That can't be uh, uh, palpable. It's not real, right? Let's look at a passage in John chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. Jesus said this He's talking to Philip, one of his disciples. Philip asked Jesus that he wanted Jesus to show him the Father, right? So this was Jesus' answer. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does His works. Listen to this next. Uh, Next uh, verse here. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've shown you proof. You can believe in me because you see the life I live. The Father is in me. And the ideas that I have, the authority that I have come from the Father. The Father and I are one. Or if you don't want to believe that, if the words are not empirical proof, believe the works, the miracles, the stuff that you're seeing with your own eyes. I'm not asking you to believe something that doesn't exist, that you haven't seen. Jesus never asked anybody to believe blindly, and He doesn't ask us to believe in something blindly. So faith is not believing blindly. Faith is opening your eyes to see God's reality, His Word, His way, His attributes as the supreme reality of our lives. The reality that overwrites any other thing that we're facing. Now, it's important to start here, even when we talk about curses. It's important for us to understand this. Because when you talk about curses, it's easy to feel powerless right? If you feel like you are cursed, it's easy to feel powerless, to not know the possibility of any of us being under a curse. It can be so strange, so elusive, that we think there's little we can do. And so my goal today is not to convince you that curses exist. It's not to drive you to believe in curses. It's not to try to create a reality so that everybody can believe in it and then leave you helpless. My, my, my goal today is to share the scriptural Base for where curses came from and how we deal with it and how is our, what is our position as far as curses. Right, Because they are either real for everyone or they are not real for anyone. There's no reality in which a curse exists for somebody and it doesn't exist for another. Because we all belong to the spiritual reality. We all navigate the same reality. And so the solution is the same. The answer is the same. The difficulty you're facing might be different, but the answer is the same. So let me get to the Bible. Let me give you some biblical overview of curses. The very first time that the word curse appears in the Bible and that a curse happens in the Bible, it's in the very first chap- uh, book in the Bible. The third chapter is in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. When God curses the serpent in Eden. Let's read the passage. Genesis three fourteen says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. Now this is significant. Why is it significant? Because in biblical times, when, when, when this was written down, and when this happened, Pagans believed that curses were for people, that the gods used curses against people, and that people were to fear curses. Now, in the story of the Scripture, in the story of God and mankind, the God of Abraham, the God of uh, of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that Jesus Christ says, I am one with, God uses curses to Punish or to bring justice against that which deceived people. God used a curse right here, not to, demi- not to the demise or to the destruction of people, but to dispense justice on behalf of people. That which had caused Eve and Adam to sin was cursed, not Eve and Adam for their sin. Does that make sense? They suffered the consequences of their sin. Sin brought a curse into their lives. But God cursed the thing that caused them to sin. We see another significant part of the Scriptures. When God speaks to Moses and gives instructions to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is another big a part where God lays out blessings and curses to the people. I'm just going to read three, three verses here, uh, but I encourage you to read on your own time the whole chapter. It's very, very uh, interesting and informative. Um. Verse 1 says this, "...and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commands that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God." So here Moses is telling the people, there is a way to live, which is God's way, that if we live according to His ways, blessings will follow us, goodness will follow us, and we will be free from the curse of sin, right? And so verse 15, he lays out the curses, Uh, but if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I commend you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Now, When we read curses like this in the Bible, being applied to people, it's easy for us to think that God was uh, trying to manipulate and control people to live the certain way that He wanted them to live. That God was using His power to control people. And that was very mean of God to try to do that and curse people and try to control people because people should be able to do whatever they want. That's the wrong way to look at it. You have to think of it as a path of life as a way of life. Not God trying to control your behavior, but the fact that in front of you, you have two ways of life. A life that leads to life, a a way that leads to life, and a way that leads to death. A path that leads to life, and a path that leads to death. And what God is saying is, my way is the way to life. The way that I set before you is the way to life. And if you take the way that I'm guiding you toward, then you will have life. But if you don't come, uh, if you don't walk this path, if you don't don't walk toward me and you take the the path of death, curses will come upon you. This is him telling the people of Israel. You have to choose the way you will live. This is God giving us the, the choice. This is God empowering us to make a decision for ourselves. It's not him controlling us. It's the opposite. It's him letting us know, listen, you were designed to live a certain way. And I am showing you how your body functions best, how your mind functions best, how your belief system functions best, how relationships function best. If you go the other way, you're going to have consequences. There are things that are going to happen as a result of you living against the way you're meant to function. Think about nature and everything. Everything has a proper way to function and follows like a seed has to be sown. It's not going to grow somewhere else. A tropical tree doesn't grow in the Arctic. It just doesn't work. If you take a big uh, 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 Christmas tree from Canada and try to plant it in in in, in Ecuador, it's not going to grow. It's going to die. So the same thing is true for us. There are certain ways that we are meant to function and that we are meant to work. You may say, J.D., I don't think that that's, that's fair. Like, I don't think God's way is the only way. I think there are other ways to live that are just fine. And if I don't believe in all that, I could just live my own way and be free from all that. That's the whole point of enlightenment, right? Let's break free. Well, let's see if that works for you. Because the reality is that there's either the right way or the wrong way. We can't make a third option. And that's what God is trying to guide us here. Believing it doesn't make a reality. Remember that. And so far, proof is on God's side. That His way is the best way for us. Now maybe the problem for some of you, maybe you watching as well, is that the idea that you were sold of God is the wrong idea. Maybe you're a part of a church culture or a church. Uh, uh, exposure, the exposure to church that you've had is uh, of rigidity, is of, of of stiffness, is is of a system and a culture that that was strict and overwhelmingly judgmental, and so for you you connect to that, and you think if that's God's way to behave that way, the way I was told, then I don't want that way. Well, that the problem is that God's way is that the way that was. That you will learn that the way that was taught you was not the proper way. Like That's not God's way. It could be that it was the opposite too. You were in the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're part of a church system where uh, conduct and behavior had nothing to do with God. You could do whatever you want because grace means you could do whatever you want. Grace means everything is good and you just live however you want to live because grace. Well, good luck with that. Try to teach that to your four-year-old. Here's a good rule of thumb. If it doesn't work for a four-year-old, it's not God's way, okay? <laughs> so it might, it might be that you need to unlearn and deconstruct how you think about God and about His way. Anyone not living God's way has the exposure to the possibility of living under a curse. And this is something that's a little tough for us to to understand, right? But it's the reality that we face. This is how curses enter the world, by people not living God's way. And that's how curses enter our lives as well. Now you may have heard the title of this message and you thought, man, I thought, I thought I was going to learn some kind of prayer or some kind of way to break a spell and to, and to destroy curses. That was last week's message. <laughs> That's easy, right? I grew up in a country highly influenced by uh, the occult, highly influenced by um, black magic. And, in fact, when I was growing up, I remember one time there was a frog in our doorstep. I know, yucky, right? And the, the mouth's frog, the frog was dead, and, and the mouth was sewn, And my brother, like, cut the mouth open, and there was a piece of paper inside the mouth. with was all of our names. So it was some kind of spell that was cast. It meant something. I don't remember what it meant, but it meant something. They, they, were, they were coming for our family, people that, that were on the dark side. We've had people come into our church in Brazil, in my dad's church. And, and cast spells to our face and and just um, you know try to produce some kind of dark magic that's I, 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 how I grew up we had We had a, a lady that um, we had we had a person that helped my mom in the house you know to clean and with stuff in the house, and this lady stole an article of clothing from each of our family members to take it to a, a place and cast some. Some, some curses on him. And, and, and then she brought it back. We found out later. It was a whole thing. Um, why? Because we were surrounded by this kind of reality. People just gave themselves to spirituality, which means they give themselves to God as well as evil. And all because my dad was a pastor in town that that not only preached, but prayed against the occult. And people were getting delivered and they were coming to our church and those people were losing business. And... And they, would, they were coming for our family. But guess what? Nothing stuck. Everything they did, nothing stuck. They, they would get so mad because their power wasn't strong enough to even cause any damage to us. And so that's why I, I say that if you're, if you're thinking about that kind of curse, that's evil spirits. That's last week's message. The kind of curse is that we need to pay attention to are those that are a result of living apart from God, what the scripture teaches us. Maybe it's a result of sinful behavior that you're not even aware of, but it just runs in your family. It's it's how you learned how to live. Maybe it's something that's been endemic in your family line. Maybe it's a stronghold that has discouraged you, To the point of surrender. You have fought against it. And you have fought against it. And you have fought against it. And then finally you surrendered and you said, I can never beat this. So you feel hopeless. So what are some of the symptoms for you to identify that maybe you might be under a curse? One symptom is this. Maybe you try to live a healthy life. You're, You're active. You eat right. You walk. You do what you can but in the natural. But somehow sickness always finds you you're always battling something in your body even though you do everything right maybe it's financial you're not a spender you try to do your budget right you have you make enough to live you make enough to be okay but somehow extra expenses keep happening keep happening. There's a car wreck or you get a flat tire or a pipe breaks in your house or something is always happening and appears out of nowhere and you seem to never be able to catch a break. Maybe it's like this. Every time you connect to somebody on a meaningful level, you want a friend. You want to have somebody that you can count on. Maybe it's, uh, you want a romantic relationship. And every mo- time you connect with that person in a meaningful level, you're doing everything right, everything you know to do, something odd happens. Something out of nowhere happens that destroy that friendship or that relationship, and you're left alone again. And you've been battling loneliness, and you don't know how to get out of it. If things like these keep happening, and you feel trapped, and you don't know how to get out of it, it could be, that it's possible, that you, there's, you're living under a curse. Maybe there's no explanation in the natural and you're like, I, I, I don't know why this keeps happening to me. And there's a few things that you can do to break those curses, to break that cycle. I want to look at Abraham's life because Abraham's life is very telling. There's a little scripture, about six verses, at the beginning of his life that showed, shows us how God called him out of an existence of mediocrity and the curse that he was on there. Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through 32 says this. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah, father Abram. Remember before Abraham, God changed his name. His name was Abram. So that's the same guy right there. Terah, father Abram, Naor, and Haran. So three brothers. And Haran, father Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Naor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Naor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now her, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, and the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his, his son, Abram's uh, wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 20, 205 years old, uh, and Terah died in Haran. So look, you look at this story. A couple things to observe here in the story. It's a difficult family situation. A difficult family uh, uh, thing that they went through here. History. First of all, there was grief. Right? Because Abram's little brother died. And so maybe the father or the family was tricked with grief. And they decided to move and go to Canaan. Right? That was the the, the location. the, The destination. Canaan. But Abram's dad set forth on that mission and stopped short didn't reach the final destination and then Abram's wife was barren and then Abram's dad died and now he's left as the one, the eldest, supposed to carry the family legacy and he's in a place where everything is unfinished. He's not where he was, he's not where he's supposed to be. His wife can't give him a son or a daughter he doesn't have a family of his own. And he was living with his dad until he was 75 years old. Failure to launch much? <laughs> Imagine if you have a kid and he's 75, still living in your basement. God bless you. And that was the story of Abram. A life incomplete, far from blessed. You can't look at this picture and say, this guy is blessed. He's great. Let's. Put a positive spin on it. Right? No. He was bound. He couldn't set himself free. And maybe you are here today and you have your own set of circumstances. Maybe you have your own set of grief in your own family that you have faced. That might be holding you back as well. Maybe there there are health limitations like Sarai. And, and, and you haven't been able to move forward from that. And it's beyond your power to solve. Maybe your outlook, your outlook is bleak. Because you feel like you're trapped in a reality that you can't see beyond it. And you don't think you'll ever get to the po- place that you're supposed to get to. Because you look at people around you. People that have overcome much worse circumstances than yours. And it should encourage you, but it doesn't. Because clearly, if they were able to overcome something bigger than what you're facing, that means the problem is not in the circumstances or the family line or the context. The problem is you. There's something wrong within. And so you look at your horizon and you find no hope. The conclusion is, I must be cursed. There's gotta be something that's keeping me. There's gotta be something wrong with me. Maybe you don't call it a curse, but that's exactly how it manifests itself an ailment, something that's on you that can't let you move forward, like like some kind of anchor that holds you back. Let me encourage you today. You can overcome, you can break free. And in Christ, you will overcome. Because no curse is permanent. That's what Jesus came to do, to deliver us from the curse of the enemy. How did Abram overcome? I'm going to go very quickly through this, okay? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And you and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Something completely opposite of what he had faced. Completely opposite, right? First thing that we learn from this call, from this, this message that God gave Abraham, this word, is this to overcome curses. We got to obey God's call. That's the first thing. Listen to the passage. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God will call us to depart. There's a departure that needs to happen in every single one of our stories if we're going to overcome the curse that might be in our family. For example, in my family, alcoholism was a curse. My dad grew up with an alcoholic father, who was not present, who was abusive to my grandma. He left home when he was 12 and he decided, my family will live differently. We will break this curse. And he never ever uh, had uh, been, ha- have been drunk, my dad. He has never been drunk. And, and so that's how he broke the curse through faith, through Christ, but stepped away from that reality and said, God is calling me out of this. God is, you know, maybe the departure is not physical departure, but God is going to call you to a land that he will show you. And the land that God showed my dad was a land free of alcoholism. And that meant I'm not going to touch any alcoholic drinks. I'm just not going to do it. So I, we never had that stuff in my house. Now, I enjoy a glass of wine and all that, but I've decided that in my family it's going to be the same. I've never been drunk in my life and never had a buzz, never, ever. Because I saw my grandfather, just always drunk. I don't have any memories with my grandfather on my dad's side, uh, uh, apart from him being drunk, sitting around, or you know, us having to go rush and get my, my grandma uh, from From some fight that he started. So that's how my dad broke the curse, by answering God's call. God called him out of that. My grandpa on my mother's side had a similar situation happen. Lived the party life, had no family, was kind of, you know, lived with a family that wasn't his own, and he wasn't officially adopted, but he just kind of lived with them. And then at 18 years of age, living the most promiscuous life you could in 1940, he, uh, he found Christ at a, at, a, at, a, at a tent revival put by the Assemblies of God, American missionaries that came and put a beautiful uh, 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 outreach down in Brazil. And that's how my family came to Christ, through American missionaries. And so my, my grandpa turned his life around because he felt that call of God. And he became a preacher. And now a guy that was living alone, he didn't have a family. He made it his life mission to create communities where people could have family. And so he planted churches everywhere in in my state and uh, was a pastor until the time he died. See, God will call you out of your current reality. And when he calls you, it's going to seem odd because it's going to go against what you're used to. But what we ought to do is obey. When God calls you, obey. Number two is this. Follow God's plan. When you obey the call, God's not just going to call you to something, just out of something. He's going to call you towards something. Does that make sense? Like, He's not just going to say, leave there and leave and go where? Well, He says, I will make make you a great nation. That's the plan. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I have a plan for you. I'm taking you somewhere. I'm going to use you in a specific way. So you need, you need to depart from the lifestyle, you need to depart from the way you're living, you need to take a step. And I'll give you the strength to break that curse, but you got to follow the plan. See, here's something that we need to understand. God's plan will never agree, will never agree with the kind of life that exists under the curse. He's always going to call you out of that reality. Look, Notice, Abraham Abram didn't have any kids. His wife couldn't have any kids. And what was God's plan for his life? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will make you a great nation. I just want a kid, God. I just want one. And God is like, I'm going to make you a nation. Dream on. Right? Right? Sometimes God will put dreams in our hearts, plans in our hearts, that seems, there's no way. You have to trust that what God sows in your heart is going to go against what's holding you back. It has to. God is not going to plan your life within the confinements of any curse, within the confinements of any limitations. He's going to break the mold. So you got you to open your mind. Expand your vision and receive what He has for you. And follow His plan by faith as He reveals it. Number three, got to hold on to God's promise. So you obey the call, you follow the plan, and you hold on to the promise. What was God's promise to Abraham? I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed covenant that God made with Abraham. God's promise will protect you. And it will protect you and and will protect your descendants from any curses. Right? God's promise to those who answer the call, who follow His plan, is complete deliverance. What does that mean? It means that not only is my dad going to be free from alcoholism, I will be free from alcoholism, my daughters will be free from alcoholism, and their children will be free from alcoholism. That's what that means. Not only is Sarai going to have a kid, Isaac is going to have children, Jacob is going to have children, and their descendants are going to fill the earth. That's what that means. It means that the, when the curse is broken, it's not just broken for you. It's broken for everyone in your family forever. Deliverance is certain. You don't have. It's certain. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid that oh my gosh, this is too good to be true. I gotta hold on to it because uh, I could lose it any time. No. When once God delivers you, you're delivered. Once the curse is is broken, it's broken. And you can live in freedom. And you can hold on to the promise that God made Abraham. He will bless you. And he will, and he will protect you. And he will bless those who bless you. And he will curse those who dishonor you. And if you doubt that God will keep his promise. Look at what happened to the people of Israel. When they were in Egypt. And people were dishonoring the people of Israel in Egypt. Remember the ten plagues? That was God keeping his promise. Those who dishonor your descendants. I will curse. God's promise is real. Never again will family members live under that curse. And that's true for you. There's a study that that is out and I'm I'm about to close. I'm going to call the keyboard player, which is me. (laughs) I just thought about it. The worship team can come. I'm like, okay, it's me. (laughs) I love it. I will close with a song. Um, have you heard of epigenetics? Epigenetics is a study that has been around for some time now. If you haven't heard of it, you've been a part of it. If you've gone to any doctor, if, you, if you've had, had a conversation in your family about, um, about family history and, and, and health history... Uh, you you are the way the reason why we understand that is because of the study of epigenetics. Epigenetics is the idea that uh, that, that some things are transferable through the genes, right? So if if somebody has a, a history of, of heart disease that might run in the family, you know that sentence, right? Running in the family that's because of epigenetics. Um, so when you go to a doctor, you fill in a form, and they, they not only ask about your history, they ask about your family's history, right? That's because of epigenetics. And we know that the physical things can be transferred down. We know that that's a reality that we all Face and, and, and it 's there we, we see it. there could be families that have a history of heart disease or infertility or obesity, uh-uh. and then there, there's some genetics that are good too. Maybe your family has good genetic genetics. you have a high metabolism. If somebody else eats a cheesecake, they have to work it out for a whole week. But for you, you know you can have one every day and you 're fine because you inherit good metabolism right? It, maybe your family has a mind for music, a mind for arts there's something that, that, that mathematics there's something that you it, it runs in the family some families are stronger they, they, they literally physically stronger they, they go to the gym one time and, and they can gain the muscle and, and and be stronger right that's that's because of epigenetics now there is there's there's been a, a a bit of a of a conflict when it comes to because the study of epigenetics recently in recent days has moved into the emotional arena And what they're discovering is that emotion and trauma can also be passed down. Now, the resistance from that study, and it's still being developed, is that they were trying to decide, is is it environmental though? Is it that because somebody who went to war came home, war messed them up, and so they created an environment in the house that was a little bit messed up, and that's how the kids uh, uh, were affected by it? Or is it actually genetic? So that study is still being developed, but what they're discovering, especially uh, with children of Holocaust survivors, is that it actually is transferred. Trauma can be transferred 100 years. Something that your grandparents felt and suffered can. There's a possibility that it will be passed down. It's, It's incredible, like if you look into it. They discovered this, that several of the people who were children of Holocaust survivors had recurring nightmares of being chased, tortured, persecuted, or annihilated. In one study, they found dozens of people that had similar dreams. One one example of the dream is this. I'm going to read it to you, the text that they wrote. A drowsiness hanged over him, a kind of paralyzing spell. And so many times before, he found himself again in the ghetto, being chased by soldiers and looking for a hiding place. The nightmares were vivid and emotionally draining, and he yearned for peace and relief. He tried to put shape and give meaning to the frightening images that kept haunting him, but he found nothing of the sort. Just a lifelong struggle with a past terror that was not his own with a tragedy that he himself had not survived, and with a conviction that the catastrophe would surely strike again. How long would it go on? This guy was having dreams of what his, his grandparents suffered, what his parents suffered. Now, what do you do in the face of that? You need the power of Christ. See, there's a a moment when your journey of faith can move has to move beyond the philosophical arena. The way of Jesus is not just a nice way to live. It's not just for here, it's for here. And you got to connect your mind to a way that is transformational so that deliverance can happen fully. Now the question is do you believe that the power of God can deliver you even if something is genetic? That if it is a curse, that God can break that curse. Again, remember what we talked about, belief. I want to read a passage. This is the last passage, and then I'm going to close. Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 14. And that is the, the, the relevance of Christ when it comes to God's covenant with Abraham that we just read. right? Verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. What is Paul saying here? Paul was a scholar, grew up with with. Uh, studying the Old Testament. He's saying, listen, what Jesus did connects back to the promise of Abraham. It's not something elusive that we're trying to grasp. It's it's happened right here. The promise that God made to that one man that became all of us, all of us are a nation, is not just for Jews because Jews come from Abraham, right? It's for everyone in the world who, by faith, connects to God's promise, connects to the same God of Abraham. He continues, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We just covered this about the De- 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 Deuteronomy passage, right? I'm telling you, like it's all coming together. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is, who, who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham... Abraham might become might come to the Gentiles that's you and me so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith sounds very biblical right Uh, but what 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 Paul is telling us here is that the blessing of Abraham is yours through Christ is that in our attempt to take that way of life in our failure to to do that perfectly, Christ came to our place, came to earth, our existence, and walked that path with us. And the curse that was supposed to be on us, he took it upon himself. This happens by faith to the point that the journey with God, you know, causes to overcome Everything. That's how you can overcome by walking with Christ. It's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual journey. That's why I said that there's got to be a point. There's got to come a point in your faith where it goes beyond philosophy. It has to be transformational. It has to transform the way you think, the way you believe, and how you live. And that's how deliverance happens. So let me encourage you today to live fully devoted to Christ. First, obey God's call. Follow God's plan. Hold on to His promise. And if you do, every curse will be broken for you and for your loved ones. And you will live the promise that God has for you. Amen? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to sing one more song and we're going to close.